Welcome to the Black Sheep Podcast, brought to you by BBH. I'm your host, writer and performer, Daniela Isaacs. We want to know what it really means to be a black sheep and work out how we can all get a bit better at going against the grain. We're going to be asking some of our favourite black sheep about the rules they've broken to get them where they are today. Black Sheep is a podcast about rules and how to break them. Our black sheep this week is Big Nasty. (laughs) (laughs) I said interrupt whenever you want and right off, right off. Okay, Big Nasty is probably best known as a ridiculously funny TV star. Now having hosted two (coughs) series of The Big Nasty Show. I'm a musician. Wait, that's coming. Just be patient. Uh, He also became a viral online star with his Agony Aunt style series, Uncle Pain, where he spouts his golden advice to the masses. It shouldn't be forgotten, though, that Nasty is a bona fide British master of grime. Mm. (laughs) He's also um, what some might call a a very sought-after spokesperson for numerous different issues, from campaigns to supporting the NHS, to getting more people to speak openly about their mental health. Oh, and he's currently writing his first book. Having come all the way from Brixton, Nasty has risen to become an icon within British culture, all by being true to himself. Hello, Nasty. Can I call you Nasty? Yeah, man. Yeah, great. Um, Nasty, as I've told you, this podcast is called Black Sheep. Black Sheep, have you ever? You're the first to do that. Yes, uh, yes, uh, (laughs) ten box full. Um, It raises a question. One for the (laughs) dread. One for the little girl in this down the road. Oh, man, I thought that was going to end better, but it didn't. I know that was a shit ending. Yeah, it was. Um, What does a black sheep mean to you? Um, a black sheep is um should be a lovely sheep. Yeah. It's black wool should be nice. But it's always referred to as um outsider, loner, different and all those things just made me what I am. So would you define yourself then as a black sheep? Yeah. <laughs> I want to find out more about that, but maybe the best way to go into it is to look at the three rules that you've broken in order to get where you are today. So, Nasty, will you kick us off, please, with the first rule that you have broken? There's nothing you can do. My first rule I'd say I broke would be wait until you're booked. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes opportunity doesn't fall on your lap. Mm-hmm. And um, not every time someone sees your special, specialty. So, me, I took the Viking approach. What's the Viking approach? Um, I was like the Black Ragnar. Yeah. You know the ones there. So, in the meanings of that, like, I didn't wait for the opportunity to come to me. I pushed myself towards the opportunity. So in performances or places where I wasn't booked, mm. I'd just get up and perform anyway. So how did that start? Like, tell me where you're from. You're from Brixton. Yeah. First of all, how did you get into grime? And then how did you get yourself up on the stage if you weren't being booked? Um, I first got into grime, I would say, 2002. Um, rest in peace, Mark, my big cousin, N.E. He made um, OGs. Um, founder of P Money's group and um, Garage Essentials and I used to stay at his house Marty Millie's for six weeks holiday and I really just got infatuated with what they did when I first got into music I didn't really think like MCing was really cool 
Mm. You know what I mean? MCs were all fucking shit and broke and drove metros. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So that weren't really fancy to me. But when I saw the way how um, my cousin had expressed himself through the music mm. and the general energy and vibe about it, after the six weeks holidays, I came back to Brixton with that same energy. Then I just started to just do it. But then back in the day, mu- like grime music was the football pitch, your youth centre yeah. on the block. That was the venue for the, the cussing match to happen. And do you remember the first time that you got up and did it? Yeah, man, it was in the church. Pastor Chris face-to-face project. It was like a youth centre church um, on our local area. Pastor Chris bought all our decks and stuff for us. And every Monday and Friday, you know, from 6.30 to 9.30, it's going down. Yeah. So all problems that's gone on for the week, it's going down on radio, so on, on the church. So basically, post-sex is getting dropped. Boom, boom, boom. And man's just like, raw. Marvin, you dirty, dirty tramp. Marvin, why your house smell damp? You get me? Whole fucking church is going ballistic. Ooh, yeah. ooh, you get me? And the energy from there. And how did you know you were good at it? Truth be told, I was shy. I used to spit all my cousin's lyrics. And then <laughs> you I, stole. Yeah, I used to steal my cousin's <laughs> lyrics at the beginning. Yeah. And then um after that, um when I got back to Brixton, I used to just sit on my doorstep and write. And then all my friends, yeah, this is a true word, all my friends, when I first came back to Brixton and said I was going to do music, all my friends thought I was going crazy and thought I was smoking crack. Yeah. So they told my mum I was smoking crack, innit? So they was like, bro, do you know, yeah, Tyrone's come back talking this fucking weird shit about he wants to become a musician and that, writing bars. And top of that, he's super shit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know but what wait, I mean? what were you all your this friends is, doing? We're, we're road kids. Yeah. Yeah. We're financial first years. Ghetto financial first years. Is that the best way to put it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, me. We're ghetto financial first years. Doing very well at 14, 15. So you're, as you start writing, <laughs> yeah. where are you getting your inspiration from other than your cousin? My, just my, my general life um, experiences. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm in the trenches. Mm. Brixton in 2000 and in the 90s is nothing like your... A la carte, Brixton, what you walk through now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. So you get up at the church and mm-hmm. you do that for a bit. And then how do you get to the next stage? The next stage, it all was house parties. Remember, at this time now, God bless the internet and other things what gave social breachness. Before, remember, everything was house parties. Like, my name then became from house parties and then other youth clubs. My youth club started to go to other youth clubs and then it just progresses from there. Get to college now, man's bunking college lessons to spit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then it just keeps and keeps on progressing. And then over the years, it's mad. Real life comes into play. I'm fortunate. I had my daughter when I was 28. Mm. So I had a lot of time to be selfish to my career and mm. needs. A lot of my friends had kids at 15. Yeah. Creating a life at 15 with that responsibility at 15. Well, when you're supposed to go to the studio, either you're going to do a factory job or, or get your robbery way high, become level six on your robbery. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not the truth. So I was fortunate I didn't have to have that next choice. Yeah. I got a lot of time to focus on the music. So 
So if your mm. rule is wait until you're booked, where were you not being booked? And can you give me any examples of how you kind of got up on that stage and made sure people were listening to you? So basically, when I first started to do grime back in the days, yeah, you had to have Snickers. You had what does to have, that mean? That means you had to have nuts. Right. You had to actually have testicles. Like you had to be. I'd be out. Yeah, it'd be very powerful because it was like rugby. Yeah. For, for a thing that just involved the mic, it was a lot of rugby. Remember, you know, the mic is in the centre of this room, yeah? There's 20 alpha males around this mic mm. who's all stayed up the whole night writing what they want to say. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you think it's just everyone going on the mic and saying what they want. No, the first barrier or level to even get to the mic is have you got enough confidence to walk over there and mm. say what you want to say through these other 20 people who want to say what they want to say what makes you more powerful enough to go and say it mm. this is not the days of of democracy where tommy it's your go now pass yeah. it to daniel no <laughs> yeah it's not like so that. were you ever too scared no no so you always got i'm ragnar yeah yeah you're the viking i forgot <laughs> sorry um, so you pushed yourself in and then at what point did it change and then you started getting booked? It started to get booked now. Basically, quick... Yeah, let's do it. Got good, then obviously platinum album with N-dubs, then everything's changed for a bit. I fell off a bit. Grime has then changed. Everything what I knew about grime music has 110% grime is different the beats are not the same it's got more hip-hop orientated there's new producers at this time p money and um rival yeah was the two biggest mcs in grand music at that time and dubstep was just starting to come out mm -hmm. do you know what i mean mm. so coming from Pac-Man, triplets you get what i mean um Pole sex to this whole new hip hoppy grime fusion was just so different. Now there's two choices for me. Do I be ignorant? Remember, no, I've done quite well. Definitely the biggest MC in South London. Known, got the biggest under 18s event. I had a platinum album of N dubs. So definitely done stuff. Yeah. Now I've, I've fallen off, come back, everything's changed. Do I be stubborn and think, oh, I'm too big to start again? Or because I've already done that, I deserve to just be at the top. Yeah. So, nope. Had some humble pie, get me? Yeah. With double cream. <laughs> Boom. Smashed that. Lord of the Mics tour has come. I did 22 shows for free. Wow. After the, 22, after the 22nd show, everything changed. You know what I mean? But it took 22 performances. And within those performances, you built your following? No, no, my following was already there. But what the problem is, I've f fell off. So every person who was I was already before is in a better position than me. Mm. I've come back at the bottom. So And why did you fall off? Because of the situations, Channel U didn't want to play my videos because I wouldn't sell them. I end up publishing just, just loads of politics behind the scenes. Yeah. I released 22 videos in a year and they all got reje re rejected for being too urban right. and too street. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, hence why I said to my BBC things like the same DJs and 
and promoters I see now, like, remember five years ago, you looked at me directly in my face and said, my music's too hardcore. Yeah. But the stuff you play now is all acceptable. And look what sort of stuff was selling at the festivals. Yeah. So it's a bit of a bittersweet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but then, as I said, you got sometimes you got to start from the bottom to get to the top again. Mm. So... Started from the bottom again. I'm standing on loads on the stage with loads of artists who I'm already bigger than, but they're in a better position than me. The funniest thing, though, all these events we're going to, I take more pictures than all of them. Yeah. I get more public response than all of them, but they're getting the bigger check. Yeah. But it took twenty two. It took twenty two performances for that all to change. Do you know what I mean? But it's just like luck. I see. I see. Anything in the same ethos, a lot of things like relationships, work. Prime example, I'm very attractive. Absolutely. Yeah? Mm. But not every girl's going to fuck me. Mm. I may not tick some of the boxes. I just may not be slim. I just may not be golden enough. I may not have the physique. Some girls just want a teddy bear. They don't just want a skinny guy. So it doesn't mean I'm less of a person for what I'm doing. I just haven't ticked every criteria. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or not even every criteria. That specific criteria in that moment doesn't fit me. Yeah. And therefore, rather than, than trying to change yourself to fit all of the criteria, you're going to stay true to yourself and keep going until you're recognised for what you're, what you're doing. For what I'm doing. And then, so, I always said to myself, do I want to be that artist who's known for the biggest song in the world for the music I don't like? Mm. There's a lot of artists who like grime. Yeah. Or like techno, but the only way they could get a chance to feed their family was doing a jazz song. So year in, year out, they go around the world touring this jazz song. What yeah. makes them fucking sick? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Sick and sad. Sick and sad. Yeah. Because it's not what they really want to do. Yeah. They're better off. They could be, spend the same time being an accountant or sitting in an office. Every music I make and I perform is 100% my music. So it's crazy to see that now the position where I've managed to put myself in. Remember at the beginning, I've done songs with every big artist you can think of. Stormzy's first ever remix yeah. was me. Yeah. So it's not like I haven't, but it's what I wanted to make sure I go through with. I didn't want to have something what I'm not 100% happy with. And to remember, you know, when you perform to an audience... They look you right into your face, into your soul. They can see if you're happy up there yeah. or not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't want to be that guy in my in my green room drinking loads of alcohol because I'm depressed and having to tank up on liquid courage to perform a song I don't like. When I go and do any performance, it's a real good party because I love my music. Mm. It's everything what I stand for, my culture. You know what I mean? I had a long debate yesterday with Congo Natty about... Um, how do you see yourself? Like people say in interviews, are oh, you a grime artist or you just an artist? And some other artists who was with me, they were like, I do grime, but I can do everything else. And then I was like, in a sense, you're being a bit disrespectful to your art and form. Like, I'm 33. I've been studying actual grime music from 16. Mm. I haven't been studying hip hop. Yeah. I've been studying grime. I've been living grime culture from 16 and upwards. So it's very insulting to say, oh, I, I can do grime, but I can do other genres like hip-hop and stuff. Like, no, I did 113 shows in 13 months of grime music. Yeah. 
Do you know so what I mean? You know what you're doing. D- yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Not not of hip hop music. I've never did a late night hip hop show, or but there's always been a grime rave. Can I ask a really stupid question? Mm-hmm. Although people say there's no such thing as a stupid question. Will you explain to me exactly what grime culture means? Grime culture means, yeah. 21st century, modern England. Not even England. So far, truth be told, it was London. But I was now progressed to modern England. Remember, you know, grime music was made in poor black estates. Unfortunately, Paddington, yeah, and Kensington, yeah, wasn't a part of this empire. Do you know what I mean? This was in the deprived crevices of poor black ghetto estates. East London, North London, South London. Remember, you know, you're talking about kids with nothing. Mm. So, who just made simple resources of their mouth and their friends' vibes. Yeah. My friend's going... A man talking a bag of shit is our thing. Yeah. It's poor, it's cheap, but it's fucking fun. Yeah. That's what we've got. Grime was just combative music. How it became into a lifestyle now, because we're all living the things that we see. Mm. We're in gang violence, isn't it? Areas beef with other areas is a 365 thing we see every day. We see domestic violence. We see drug abuse. We're, we're on drug abuse. Yeah. <laughs> you get what I mean? Yeah. These are the things that we're fucking doing. We see shootings. We see stabbings. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. For a normal poor black kid, you could give out 16 CVs in a day and not get a job, but you could make a phone call and get half a, half a pound of crack to sell that same day and put money in your pocket. Yeah. That's the hurtful, unfortunate reality of our life. So that's what we put in our music. Yeah. That's grime culture. Grime culture has now been able to spread because it's then it's infected good posh family homes in Kensington, in Potter's Bar, where white kids who have a mum and dad good area want to have a Gucci bag and wear one glove and have a tracksuit. Mm. That is grime culture. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. No different to football football hooligan culture when you wanted a Sergio Titelli jumper, a Stone Island jacket, a pair of Reebok workouts and you want to fucking go and have it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Culture. And what do you think about that spreading? It's good. It's good because the same thing you shun has then come back to bite you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you've just given me a very uh, wonderful explanation of how grime came about. So you now, by the way, if you hear any rustling, it's because... Uh, five Guys! <laughs> five Guys are sponsoring this podcast. That's not true, <laughs> but it's sponsoring Nasty. Um, do you mind eating and talking? Cool. Something my mum told me to never do, so let's break it. Um, will you tell me the second rule that you have broken? Men don't talk about their feelings. Have you broken that? Yeah. I'm an emotional person and I'm sensitive. Uh Uh-huh. But then again, true and bipolar, I can't hold my feelings anyway. Depending on how I feel, it is what it is at the moment. Do you have bipolar? Yeah. So... Feelings is never a bad thing. Feelings is what separates us from robots. Feelings 
is what separates us from total animals. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but growing up, as you've just told me, in Brixton, within that kind of grime community, how were you able to feel free enough to talk about your feelings? Or did that come out within... It came out through my music. Yeah. But now... I had a long conversation with my brother in Sugar Tits, yeah? I want to know who Sugar Tits is, sorry. My brother in Sugar Tits, yeah? Mark, yeah? Yeah. Like, he's rich, yeah? He comes from a rich family, comes from money. So, me and him was having a good debate about something, and he's like, Nas, people from your way of life, how you come up, yeah? It's like, all you do is smoke weed in fancy places. And I took so much offence to it, and it got me so fucking angry. He weren't being racist, because that's my bro. You get what I mean? Yeah. Truth be told, I'm probably his closest black mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So, but when I sat back and bought my spiff and analysed it, it's fucking true. Hear this now. Being a poor, deprived kid, coming up with nothing, yeah? Every day was survival. Mm. So, I could hands down tell you, I have a PhD doctorate in survival. I can always survive. Because I've done it from a kid. Mm. Survival is nothing. But hear this though. 33 years of age, I'm just still now learning how to live. My most childhood has started from 27. I'm supposed to be dead in prison by 21, easily. Do you get what I mean? And do you think part of that survival is learning to talk about how you feel or not? No. It's it's about learning how to live. As I said, compared to a child now who's never had to survive, who's always just lived in the sense of like being able mm. to nurture your dreams and your ambitions, stability is the number one main thing. Being stable about how you're eating, how you're drinking and how you're sleeping. Also, opening your world knowledge bank even to know that having a holiday it's normal to go on a holiday my child yeah my two children will be the first in a generation to grow up in a house that's not a council flat Mm. do you understand that Mm -hmm. my children will never grow up thinking as soon as they get to 16 I'm going to write a lesson saying I don't want them anymore and they need to get the fuck out there's a big difference so when they have children, it will be standard that their kids will be in the house where it's a mortgaged home because it's, that's all they know. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But if you've been raised, as soon as you're 15, 16, you start putting in them quick letters to the council saying, rah, got enough space in the house and that. First ambition, you've got to get a council flat by your 21. All of these, none of this is living. All of this stuff is survival. Mm. Do you get what I mean? So how are you learning to live? So like, I hear the problem. I've gone past the survival stage. Yeah. Now. I don't just have to survive, but hey, what now? My experience, yeah, and history on living is small. So it's like I'm being a kid in living now, doing normal stuff, what normal people in the normal age of living a normal life has already done, i.e. holidays. My first family holiday I'm taking is tonight with my kids. Where are you going? Um, Spain. Lovely. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it's in the smallest of essence. But I can easily start another business tomorrow because I'm always in hustling mentally. Yeah. I know how to survive. But I wouldn't know the first thing about, oh, I'm going to go and book a, a quick Mediterranean cruise because that experience of life is limited to me. Mm-hmm. So when you conquer living, survival, 
living becomes a whole new chapter of life as well. And it is just as hard and scary. And where does that leave your mental health? Just going back to that rule, you know, it's assumed that men don't talk about their feelings. You're being very open about how you feel. But how has um, this kind of transition from survival to living affected your mind? Because... I, when I did this, this uh, mental health um, seminar, I was doing a lot of uh, mental health speaks with the mind at universities. Mm. This girl came in there yeah, and she burst out talking at the end because she had an uncle who was mentally, um, mentally unwell. But the whole family pretends that he's normal. So everyone knows he's off-key, but they are all at normal. Soon as she went to university and started bringing friends back to the house and they met her uncle, that's the first sign of an outsider seeing how weird what's going on. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. That fucked her up. Yeah. Because it's not normal, but you've been pretending it's normal. It's become only a bigger problem normal when outsiders like ourselves are seeing, bro, your uncle's not really right. He needs help. Not just pour him off in the corner. She broke down in tears. So the same thing what I'm getting about is now, if you've been living a set of life which you think is normal, remember no. How many how many 14 year olds you know who's done a murder? None. Alright then. Yeah. Well, that's normal where we're from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Yeah. The simplest of the conversations like that. So you put that 14 year old off to a normal 14 year old, who's more traumatized? They both are. Yeah. His life, when he spends time with a normal 14-year-old kid who doesn't have a murder on him or hasn't been in, in a court case pending or getting deported, how do you think he feels to see, raw? is life really supposed to be this? Like, raw two nurturing parents who love me and care about my well-being and that and buy man stuff and show man hugs and... Do you think he's not fucked up? Mm. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's no one better than the other. So at what point did you learn to, to kind of open up about how you were feeling? And Because you seem to talk about it with such ease, but I'm assuming growing up it wasn't as simple as that. Honestly, I was very fortunate. The family what I have and the friends what I have that was very always easy for me. Right. And I've always been popular. So I've never been a nerd or unleft out or... That's never really been my thing. So mm-hmm. even the situation where I'm in now, it just feels like being known on the street but in a bigger in a bigger way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So... But then at the same time, I'm a very open person as well. The thing what makes me bridge gaps, I can go in a room and talk to anybody. Mm. So I will meet a new friend or meet someone new. Where some of my friends are a lot of are secluded, they won't say hello until you say hello to them. Hence why no new opportunities will fall on their path. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And partly I think it's because of social media as well. Because everyone likes to reflect their social media life. I've seen guys so gassed in their social media and we've managed to be in the same shop like, like 15 minutes after you posted that video. Yeah. And you look like a fucking hobbit. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? 15 minutes ago, your Instagram was really lit. You get what I mean? But like, come on, man. It's a fucking joke to me, bro. And um, 
everyone finds it hard to show their real life now. And are you happy to show yours? Yeah. Yeah. So is that, will you talk to me a bit about Uncle Payne and what made you set that up? Because I feel like it might kind of chime with what you're speaking about. Uncle Payne was just a freak of nature. To anyone that doesn't know what Uncle Payne is, will you just explain it as well? Uncle Payne was a basically an agony art thing where I had a smoked weed in my car and my brother and Lord and just talked about real G shit. Like what? Anything from... So, sorry. He's having a lovely burger. It's a good burger, bro. The cheese. <laughs> so what happened, yeah? Yeah. I think we might get sponsorship from Five Guys after this. I did a video. Yeah. Um, for my cover of um Prodigy's Firestarter. Yeah, shot with SBTV. After the video, post to go and check my bridge in Dula just to go and bake off and pattern. Dula's moving like some fucking idiot, taking super duper long. So man's just chain smoking weed in the Ross Clark car with Lordy. You get me? So, we start talking about we should make our own fucking Jerry Springer and shit. And then, boom, we made up the first five Uncle Paints. The first five was made up. After that, it's like 2,000, 3,000 emails a week. Of what? People, mainly men, reaching out to you? Men and women, they show their face and everything. Saying what? Give me, like, some examples of things that people would reach out to you asking about. My boss is a dickhead. My mum's boyfriend keeps on trying to fill me up. My mum doesn't believe me when I tell her that her boyfriend's hitting on me. Um, getting bullied by my boss. Also, been with this girl for four months. Still ain't fucked. Not even fingered. Best stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And where did you get um all your advice from? Wait. Your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Was there ever a point where you're like, I actually can't answer this. I can't help you. No, because. I'm not a part of the real world. What do you mean? Well, the real world's a bit politically correct and shit, isn't it? Right. And, like, they've lost their whole William Churchill. You get what I mean? I'm still on this mad William Churchill shit. Cause what I'm do you mean by William correct. Churchill? Like, William Churchill's not on this soft shit, bro. Like, right. oh, you're not allowed to tell people the truth because it might hurt their feelings. Go fuck your feelings because the truth is the truth. You got shit on your trousers. Like, Remember though, the society we live in now, if you had shit on your trousers, someone could lose their job for telling you you got shit on your trousers because how it could make you feel. Right. And all of this fucking bollocks. They could have told you you got shit on your trousers in a malicious way. You know, they can see some fucking real fucking knob cheese shit. Oh, the way how you told her she had shit on her trousers was very aggressive. And, <laughs> you know, no, no, that's fucked up shit. When the truth is you got fucking shit on your trousers and you stink because obviously shit stinks. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no nice way of saying it, is there? But do you think anyone... Like, can you understand why some people might get offended, not by having shit on their trousers, but by telling them the truth straight up? Well, yeah, but the truth is the truth. In the words of my mate Dan, you can only piss with the cock you got. That is the fucking truth. Mm. Is There's no nice to say it. The fact that we came out of our mum's family black, things are going to be a bit difficult mm. for us. Mm. That is just the fucking truth. There's no pretty way of saying it. You just got to fucking like your lump it. Yeah. But at least knowing it, you know how to pattern. But being in denial with it is all worse. So, everyone not being allowed to tell the truth in case of people's feelings. There's a big difference between preventing someone's feelings and preventing destruction. So, if I could basically tear the world down, are you going to tell me it's wrong to do it in case you hurt my feelings? 
No. There's, there should never be a line between the truth. The truth should just always just be the truth. Mm-hmm. You can tell the truth and then nice it after. Like, that is the truth, but things, that's how it goes sometimes, mate. But trying to bend the truth, I don't think that's right. And in terms of talking about your truth, would you say that that always comes out with your music? And in me. Yeah. So when you did BDL Bipolar, was that talking, were you kind of as honest about everything as you you find comfortable? Was there anything that was stretching you and you found difficult or not? Does no. It... BDL Bipolar was the first body of work I'd done what showed every part of me. Mm. I didn't want to have um, an album just all angry me. Everything what I hate about the world, everything what I hate. I wanted an album what affects my moment. I'm bipolar, so I can be as happy as Larry and then I can sit in the in the toilet and just look at sad videos and cry. It just depends what type of moment I'm in. So, I always see, if you start how you mean to go on, then everything's easy. If everyone knows that, raw, you don't really know what you're going to get with Nasty, then everyone knows how to deal with me and how to live with me. Yeah. But if I then go out my hardest to say two years, I'm just going to try and be this straight, cut-edged person and then next two years I'm going to have an outlap and just start moving like Paul Gascoigne. Like, it's too much differences. It's like, what are you? Mm. I'm fucked up. I smoke hell amounts of weeds. I'm a porn star. This is what I do. Like, shh, love me or like me. You know what I mean? Or hate me. This is what it is. Cool. It's not for everyone's box. Some people might stay far away from me. But whoever likes me, they know exactly what they're getting. I hate surprises. It's not a fucking kinder egg. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. Let's throw us into the third and final rule that you have broken. Privilege gets you to the top. I don't even need to ask you. Go on, throw us straight in. Well, it is, it is known. Coming from... Back to the words of fucking... You can only piss with the cock you got. Yeah? And it is... Spot lock what, what cock you come out of. Do you know what I mean? So... Sorry, I'll phrase this, go phrase it in a nice way. Doesn't so, have yeah, to be nice. Basically, there's a lot of kids who are privileged and get an easy route in. But then there's some, like myself, who just freaks of nature. And now, you can never judge a person's startup. It's like, prime example, I came from nothing. But it's a total different story for my kids. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So should they be treated differently or be begrudged because of who their dad is or, or what I've done? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it all comes back to now what I'm going to pass on to them. A lot of things where privileged kids get bad advice from their parents is that Parents always focus too much on what they didn't have instead of what they did. So I've said it numerous of times, 
poor as fuck, didn't have no money. But my mum made me a billionaire with self-respect and manners and morals. Yeah. I'm probably more richer than Bill Gates with morals and respect. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And those morals and respect have put me in situations where my talent couldn't put me. Just having manners and morals and respect will do things for you what your talent can't and make people spend time on you, even though you couldn't. I couldn't pay for studio time, but because of my manners and how a person having time for me seemed raw, he's got good manners though and morals. Do you know what? Come to the studio at 10 o'clock and you can have the last hour for clean up, but just make sure you tidy up the studio before you go home. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And do you think that helped you with the Big Nasty show, just in terms of raising your profile as a TV personality? Oh, uh, no way. No way. The Big Nasty show was a, was a 100% done deal. That was gonna, I already said it was going to be the blackest thing on TV. Yeah. And all what the Big Nasty show has really done is just showed, like, England what real TV is. Remember, like, none of us are at home are being forced with someone who's controlling our TV remote. And everyone's TV has YouTube. Yeah. So the generic system of thinking everyone's going to be watching fucking Little House on the Prairie and taking in the fucking Baywatch because you said it's 5.30 and Baywatch should be watched. That's not happening. And the fact of that, raw, not every TV show should have a, a straight, plain white audience. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you got Meet the Cons, yeah? You got Flipping. They need to bring back fucking Henry Enfield and Chums. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking real TV, bro. You know how powerful Harry Emerald Hula Hoops are fucking round. And they'll be around forever, bro. Do you get what I mean? And look, you had Desmond's, you had Real McCoy. Do you get what I mean? So I think like TV should reflect of the nation where it is. It's no different when I talk about radio. In our discussion around privilege, when you were kind of working out how the series would work, did you find that it was quite difficult to get what you wanted with the commissioners that you were working with who were probably from quite a different background to you? Um, yeah, but I changed that problem when I took half of the show. You have to have control. Yeah. Without control, nothing's possible. So how did you, like, manage that? Megatron, leader of the Decepticons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as you see this lovely pretty boy here, I have a really powerful team. Yeah. So that's why I can smoke so much weed, very comfortable. Judge Jules is my solicitor. You get me? Then I have a next external solicitor, Blue Trinity. And then I have Megatron, my personal solicitor. Mm -hmm. He was head of butt publishing and signed Chasing Status for over 18 years. You get me? And he handles all my paperwork personally. So it gives me freedom. And hence, why I said the same thing when it comes down to manners and morals. If you connect with a person on a level where they can see you've got good manners and morals, mm. a person will spend time with you and do extra. I always said to the people this, remember, you know, when you pay a person for a service, that means I've paid you from nine to five. For me to make you stay 5.30 or seven o'clock, you, you have to like me. Mm -hmm. To do anything over the barrels of where you've been paid, obligated to do something, all that comes by is by nothing but love and a respect for a person. You can't force that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And the only way you can get that is by respecting people and having good morals, where a person naturally in themselves will feel obligated to see you do well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess that is what has helped you get to the top. 100%. Yeah. I'm here because of people power, not because of an industry regime. Yeah. Okay, so you've now uh, reached the top of an industry within the grime 
culture. Mm-hmm. You've got your own TV show. You've got a book coming out. What what more do you want to do? Um, I just bought a gym. I'm opening a CBD center very soon, and I'm about to open the first Jamaican restaurant in um, Tenerife. Wow. Yeah, and the biggest coffee shop in Europe. So that's my plan right now. And then after that, straight Robbie Fowler. I'm going to buy at least four cul-de-sacs. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? What do you mean you're going to buy at least four cul-de-sacs? I'm going to buy four cul-de-sacs. What, what do you mean? I'm going to buy every house in the cul-de-sac. Oh, I see. So I'm going to buy at least four cul-de-sacs. Just for you? No, no, no. No, man. That's for the community. Everyone deserves a home. Let me. Les Morrison's more homes. Yeah. Yeah, me. Uh, it's fucking cold out there, you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The weather out there right now is blitz. There should be no homeless people, man. Everyone needs somewhere to sleep. Uh, nasty. Will you finish this off by telling me one rule that you will never break? Oh. Oh. I'll never suck pussy. That's the first thing. Rastafari <laughs> stands alone. Bad man, I am Parker, Rascla, a bartender, boy. Yeah, BDO, you fucking cunt. Yeah, Rastafari stands alone. Keep on walking on the route to Zion. I've been waiting for... Uh, thank God you've broken, like, a, a rule, finally. <laughs> now will you tell me a real rule that you will never break? That is a rule. No, come on. I want something to walk away with. That is something to be powerful. <laughs> that's too powerful for them anymore. Mo, that was way too powerful for them. That's what that was for the beings and all. So say that again. One rule you'll never break. I'll never break the rule to myself, to be to, to be honest to myself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Remember, you know, your, is it, it's your conscience. Yeah. It's like, forget what I say to you here now and that. It's when I smoke weed in my boxer shorts late at night playing FIFA 20. It's the demons of my conscience who I have to live with. Do you get what I mean? And to to sleep peaceful, you got to live with it. you got to be able to live with the choices you make. Do you know what I mean? And I don't want to... How to say, I don't want to be that famous person who's disconnected from my family because the price of it was that I had to change who everyone identifies me with to get that success. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if it means it's little baby steps towards Zion, then that's that's the root of it. Keeping true to myself, being happy. As you can see, I bang my burger, going to go smoke another fat one. You get what I mean? It has to be something I can maintain and live with every single day. As soon as it becomes after that, then what's the point of doing it? It's fucking long blood. Thanks, Nasty. You are a true black sheep who is (laughs) true to yourself. And um, thanks for giving us a Five Guys sponsorship. There you go. (laughs) Thank you.